Welcome back, everybody, to Han Talks First, the number one Star Wars-related podcast in the universe. And today we're going to be going over some of the most popular unsolved and unanswered mysteries that took place in The Rise of Skywalker. We're still far, far away from knowing all the answers, but I'm going to try and break down a few of the popular ones that I've seen online. I am your host, Han, and I'm so graciously humbled that you have joined us today to listen to my podcast and hear what I have to say about Star Wars. So without further ado, let's get into it. Episode 35 of Han Talks First. It's been a f- almost, well, it's a new year, and we've almost reached our one-year mark as an official podcast. We've still got a long way to go, got until April, but uh, it's been a wild ride last year, and there's not too much to reflect on, on things that have gone on in the history of this podcast so far, but um, I did find it interesting that... Uh, I got like the stats back, the annual stats on what's been going on with the podcast. And something that I thought was really interesting was the least popular and shortest episode I've ever had was my very first episode. Um, The introduction into the podcast and the history of Kylo Ren's mask. And the most popular episode and the longest episode I've ever made was my most recent one about the Rise of Skywalker official movie review. So I thought it was interesting, the very first podcast I did to the most recent one and just the the differences between that and how it, it shows that we've gotten better. Um, but I think it's funny too that the episodes have just been continually getting longer and I find that interesting. I just got so much more to say about it, you know? But anyway, thank you all for listening. And if you're brand new... Welcome. We talk Star Wars every week with a brand new topic, and uh, we have guests from time to time. They have different point of views on everything, so jump in any time or go back and listen to some of the old episodes. So today, like I said, we're going to talk about some of the unsolved mysteries I've I've read on the on the interwebs and just heard a lot of people talk about in person on things that they didn't really understand about the movie or that were kind of left hanging on the edge of a cliff, like Luke Skywalker was at the end of The Force Awakens. And, whoa, I don't know if you guys can hear that, but there was some screaming going on. Not sure what it was. Um, so, <laughs> it made me lose my train of thought. Yeah, I'm going to talk about them here today. And some of the answers I'm going to give are not official or uh, from any source. They're kind of just my own interpretations. And because I've seen the movie several times, so I think I have a great idea of what's going on, but I've also looked into many interviews with the cast and crew to get their answers on some of these unsolved mysteries. But before we jump into it, I do want to talk about some of the news that has surfaced recently, and there's been a lot, and I'm just going to kind of touch very briefly on it. First of all, Star Wars YouTube has turned off commenting on about half of their videos, which I find very interesting. I guess they they couldn't take all the very positive comments coming their way in order to keep going, just too much positivity. But it is very interesting that 
<clears throat> they have disabled commenting, but it's not on every single video. It's like every other. It's very odd. It's very strange. I don't understand. Um, but I guess some people just got carried away with, uh, you know, the, those positive comments. Wink, wink. Uh, another interesting thing that popped up, oh, this is rumor, <clears throat> but apparently Jar Jar Binks is to return in the Kenobi series. I don't think it's too far-fetched of an idea since he is returning in the new Jedi, uh, the uh, Jedi Temple, something, the kids game show that's going on. Um, uh, Jar Jar Binks is going to be hosting with Ahmed Best reprising the role, of course. Um, so I don't think it's too far-fetched. I mean, Jar Jar's been getting a lot of love recently and being talked about a lot. And Ahmed Best, of course, has also been receiving a lot of positivity for his role that he did almost 20-some years ago. So that's something that's surfacing. What do you guys think about that? Because I, honestly, I wouldn't hate it. But I also don't see a reason to put him in another live-action movie. Uh, the game, the kids' game show is, like, brilliant. I really love that idea. I think that works perfectly. But everything else just seems a little mcunky. All right. The next next thing I saw here, which has been a lot of people have been talking about, is of course this High Republic rumor. So sources are saying that the next Star Wars saga is going to take place during an era called the High Republic, and it sounds like the setting is 400 years before the Skywalker saga, so before Phantom Menace. And the new saga is set during the time that the Sith's rule of two has been established by Darth Bane. And, of course, during this time, Yoda is a Jedi, a younger Jedi. Um, but it, this isn't the old Jedi that we... Uh, the old Jedi or the old Republic that we knew from the Skywalker era. It's a, it's, it's a prequel to the prequel, essentially. These new films, however, will not make up a trilogy, but rather it'll be a series of films which will be released in the same story era and are interconnected. Now, I do not think that this was part of what D.B. Weiss and David Benioff's <clears throat> series of movies were going to be. I think they were to make a series moving on to a more lucrative deal, so the method of their storytelling was supposed to apply to uh, a Star Wars story type of film, like Solo and Rogue One. Um, and just judge by the pitch alone how they were supposed to tell a story about the first Jedi and the origins of the Jedi and the force and stuff like that. Um, that's definitely light years before this, what they're calling the high Republic era. And, um, the high Republic era has been touched on in a lot of legends, novels and, uh, comics, I believe none that I've read, but definitely in the books, uh, the Darth Bane books I have read, um, I guess you can kind of say it's slightly into the Darth Plagueis novel with uh, the origins of the Emperor uh, coming to the dark side and everything. Um, but there is a lot that has been uh, referenced in the Clone Wars animated series, such as the role of two and Darth Bane himself. And this also goes into uh, sifo as well. So 400 years before the the Re- Old Republic uh which they're calling the High Republic, is, I think, something that a lot of people have wanted. It could relate to that um, Knights of the Old Republic video game that a lot of people have been requesting they make into live action. Uh, 
But what I think is interesting is they're not saying it's a trilogy, but rather a series of films, which could either tell me that it could be two, three, four, five, whatever, but it makes sense that they're doing this because it sounds like they, uh, the people running the uh, story group and Kathleen Kennedy and everybody really doesn't know how to form a plan or has faith in forming a plan and something that they don't think is going to one catch on two be narrowed down to a three film deal. And I think this is a smarter way of doing it. Honestly, Uh, they set up one story and then if they want to, they can do either a sequel or just an anthology based around the same time period with different sets of characters. But it sounds like they're trying to remake a star Wars universe and try and get really far away from the Skywalker saga. The problem is with that, they are doing a prequel. So they are going to have to stay true to everything that's been established before and acknowledge where it's going to go. And that could lead for a lot of that whole Easter egg thing that they love to do. And I don't know. I think it could be interesting, but we'll find out more later. Last bit of news I'll mention is in relation to this is Project Luminous. Um, If you don't know what Project Luminous is, it's uh, basically going to be this new idea of uh, uh, some Star Wars story that will be expanded upon not just in movies, but in comics and video games and uh, just all around in all platforms. And it's said to kick off with a video game. And it's rumored again that it could take place within this High Republic era. So it sounds like the the MCU of Star Wars is going to be this High Republic era. And we're getting far away from everything we've lived in within our 150 to 200 year span of the Skywalker saga and Rogue One and Solo and stuff like that. But if you want to learn more about Project Luminist, I did an episode on it. Uh, a few months ago it's episode 22 and it's titled what is project luminous so if you're interested go back and check that out it's got some interesting stuff in there and that's it with the news today i know there's a lot more but we will get into it later okay trust me but for now i want to move on to the main topics which are the unsolved mysteries now i got a couple here some of which include uh let's see how did Maz get Luke's lightsaber? What is a dyad in the force? What was, uh, the connection between the rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian things like that. And we're going to start off a little small and then we're going to get a little bigger and broader. So the first one I want to talk about is what was Finn going to tell Ray? This is something that caught a lot of people's attention. And what I heard most coming out of the movie, the very first showing, I just hear a lot of people around me and myself going, What was Finn going to tell Rey when they were sinking in that sand pit? You probably remember, and you're probably wondering yourself if you haven't already looked it up. (laughs) But as you know, they were they were uh, about halfway through the movie. They were being they were in that uh, stormtrooper chase, and then they uh, got flung off their skips into uh, this sand pit. And you thought they were free, and they started sinking. And then as they're sinking. It looks like they're going to die, and Ray screams to Finn. Screams to Ray that Finn or Ray, I never told you I was. And then they start sinking, and you never hear what he was going to say. And Ray asks, "What were you going to tell me?" And he tells her, "I'll tell you some other time." And then we never hear what was going to happen <laughs> after that. It's never 
brought back up again. Well, Poe did bring it back up. He said, what were we going to tell Ray? And he said, don't worry about it. I think he brought it up twice, but we never found out what Finn was going to tell Ray. And I'm here to tell you that he was, he was going to tell her, I am your father. <laughs> Could you imagine? Uh, Ray, I never told you I'm your daddy. No, what, 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 uh, Finn was actually going to tell her was that he is force sensitive. And this is fact. This was stated by JJ in an, um, Q and a after one of the, the press screenings they had. And he didn't address why they didn't complete, you know, why they didn't fit it in, whether it was forgetfulness or it was purposeful. I, I honestly think they just kind of forgot about it. I'm sure they shot it, but I really don't think he wanted to be subliminal because I think that's something in a story that you would want to mention. And for some reason they just didn't complete that, that thought, <laughs> that plot point, I thought, which I thought was really cool. And an example that Finn is force sensitive is one in the force awakens. He, he himself awakens at the very beginning of the movie when he's part of the firing squad upon the villagers and he decides not to do it. And he kind of, you can see it and if something changes in him and he decides, Hey, I'm not going to do this. And so that's the very first example. The second one is he can sense at the, in the rise of Skywalker where the signal tower on the starship is coming from. And he tell, even tells John, it's a feeling I have. <sighs> now, they brought it up in The Force Awakens that, oh, wait, another example is in The Rise of Skywalker. He can tell when Ren is coming. If you notice when they're in the desert planet and Rey walks away and she's like, I'll be back or whatever, get the ship running. He himself waits a little while. He looks out the window and he's, he like turns away and then he's like focusing and then he's like, it's Ren. And then he runs after Rey. So little subtleties that identify that he is Force sensitive as well. But way back in The Force Awakens when he was first, you know, awoken as a stormtrooper and wanted to rebel or revolt against that system he was with. Do you remember back when we got the first trailers for it and we, he was like the the most prominent character in the trailers and it showed him wielding a lightsaber in the trailers? It's almost as though Finn was supposed to be the main character of this of this saga. And I wonder if he was actually supposed to have a more important role as a Force-sensitive or a Jedi, almost, in this series. Like, maybe it was supposed to be both Rey and Finn. And it just wasn't seen through. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there was also rumors that it was actually supposed to be uh, John Boyega as the main character in these movies. And instead, they decided to switch it to Rey somewhat last minute. And... Even so much as like him being force sensitive is seen in The Force Awakens when he's given the lightsaber by Maz and he's able to wield it and defend himself against it and even go up against Kylo Ren for a little bit. Now, he is... He, the reason why he's able to use the lightsaber is, one, he's force sensitive, we know now. But back then, of course, it, we knew because he had training in defense such as that because the... Stormtrooper he went up against in the beginning with a lightsaber was had a this rod that was able to deflect lightsaber blade and they were able to fight each other. So he'd had training in it before. That was made clear. Um, 
And then, of course, him going up against Kylo shows that he is force sensitive because he's able to predict the the blows and defend himself and go almost equally go up against them, which is kind of unbelievable. But I think, again, like I said before, I think Finn was like a kind of a wasted character throughout this whole trilogy. I think he started off as one of the strongest with the most potential. And then eventually we kind of lost track of that. And then by the time the rise of Skywalker comes around and he does have a little bit better role, I think than he did in the last Jedi, he's the ball is still dropped with him. Not finishing that thought that he was force sensitive and even so much as just him admitting to Ray that he was would have completed that for me and made me feel a little bit more satisfied. And what would have really made that moment better is if Ray finished it by saying, yes, I know. And something along the lines of, I didn't want to train you because I don't want you to have to do something you don't want to do or feel like you're involved some, just like I have. Or I don't want you, or that would have been a good arc for both of them, actually. And then by the end of the movie, she's like, you know what? No, embrace that feeling. Embrace the force. Let it flow through you. And we'll use it together. And we can both learn. But something else interesting about <clears throat> that line is it's an exact repeat of what happened in The Last Jedi. So if you remember in The Last Jedi, Rey says to Chewie on the Falcon, before they leave on that mission, she says to him, if you see Finn before I do, be sure to tell him. And then she pauses and Chewie goes, and then she says, yeah, tell him that. We never found out what she wanted to tell Finn either in that moment. So this is kind of like a reverse mirror effect of that in the next movie. <clears throat> and we're, Finn and Ray have like the closest relationship in this movie, yet we never see them get close and have a relationship. How weird is that? So just something to think about. So Finn was going to tell Ray that he's force sensitive. What Ray was going to tell Finn? I don't know. Maybe that she knew he was force sensitive. That would be interesting. But again, something that was not explored and something that I think was kind of not fulfilled very well. The second unsolved mystery we have is how did Maz get Luke's lightsaber? It was a question for another time, that of which we are never going to get to, apparently. (laughs) Now, there's rumors that say it is scavengers that found it on Bespin and sold it to Maz because she is a collector of those types of things. We do know she is a collector, but we do not know for a fact that that is exactly how she got the lightsaber. Something else interesting about this is that that lightsaber supposedly has been missing for, you know, 20-some, 21, 20, 26 years, something like that, somewhere in between there. And <clears throat> we don't see it again until the end of, the, or until Force Awakens, right? So from Return of the Jedi to the Force Awakens, it has been unknown in its whereabouts. Yet somehow when Kylo Ren sees it for the first time <clears throat> on Starkiller Base, he looks to Rey and says, that lightsaber belongs to me. How does he know whose lightsaber that is? By uh, texts, old texts, by uh, holograms? I have no idea. That's never exploited either. So the fact that the 
lightsaber origins itself as a mystery isn't enough because Kylo also knows where it comes from and its origins. But anyway, here's my theory on how Maz got the lightsaber. I think that after, sometime after Return, Return of the Jedi, Leia proposed to Luke that she wanted to train in the ways of the Force. And um, now this is strictly just kind of like my, my own fan fictionizing of the events or whatever. And one of the first lessons that Luke teaches to Leia when it comes to using the Force is go find my old lightsaber. Use the Force and find where it went. And use kind of a Force echo technique. For those of you that have played uh, Fallen Order, know what a Force echo is. For those of you that haven't, it's where you can walk through old footsteps of other people and use uh, totems or props or thing or objects they've interacted with in the past to kind of relive those moments and see what has happened before. So he kind of sends her off on this mission, I think to go to Bespin and to find the, by using force echoes to figure out his old path and find out where the lightsaber, uh, landed and she finds it, she brings it back and asks to be trained as a Jedi and use that lightsaber. And eventually he's like, part of doing this is you have to build your own. So then she builds her own. And so Luke now has his green one and his blue one, the Anakin Skywalker saber. And when he, when he uh, leaves to go to the island on Octo and abandon his religion or whatever, that's when he just leaves the lightsaber and at the time he was probably with Maz or, or just gave it to Leia and Leia was like, here, hold on to it because, um, he'll need it someday and I'll know it'll be safe with you. That's just my theory. But regardless, it, it officially, we have no idea how Maz got Luke's lightsaber, but that's an interesting theory of mine. I'd love to hear yours if you have any, or if you know the answer, please let me know. But I haven't seemed to find any answers. Speaking of lightsabers, at the end of The Rise of Skywalker, we saw that Rey was issued her own, or she made her own new lightsaber. We saw the very last shot was her turning on a yellow-bladed lightsaber from a staff, or from a, from a hilt that looked like the end of her staff. Again, something that really wasn't explored more that would have been really cool to see more, because I'm wondering, is it double-bladed? Because we also see her with her staff at the end of the movie, too. It's just... A lot of, a lot of things. But the question is, what is the significance of the yellow lightsaber? Technically, we haven't seen it before in a live action, and what is what makes it so she needs a a yellow lightsaber? So, yellow lightsabers historically in Star Wars have been common in Jedi Sentinels. Now, Sentinels are one of the three classes of Jedi that you can become. Uh, the other two are consulars and guardians we've really only been familiar with guardians in our universe because guardians of jedi jedi guardians are what are also called peacekeepers which are what the old republic were and which is what luke skywalker is and what i thought would have been ray since all the jedi have kind of lived inside her towards the end of the movie but now she has a yellow lightsaber that kind of changes some things. So 
what what else about sentinels? So why do sentinels use yellow lightsabers? So it just identifies the class first of all, and sentinels are since they're not peacekeepers and they're not uh, guardians. Sentinels are Jedi's that use practicalities rather than force skill. So they use non-force skill in combat or to approach problems they have. An example would be if a Jedi had to pick a lock, if a uh, if a consular or a guardian approached the lock, they would use the force to either like just make it explode or to unlock it with with the force. But a sentinel would actually choose to use <clears throat> uh, picking it with a a pin to open the lock. They reserve their force skills mainly for defense only, but never to interact with objects or to attack anything. So they're kind of reserved and more of a a silent monk, so to speak. They are very knowledgeable. They're known for practicing more specialized force techniques, and they use a form of force defense, which was favored amongst this class, <clears throat> and crossing force-based training with their increased mental conditioning. This ability allowed them to better withstand outside mental influences using force-based attacks. So that's kind of identifies with Rey, although I see Rey as being more of kind of all three of the classes of Jedi, while it doesn't really apply to this generation or this time period, since it's kind of old Republic the class system anyway. So the yellow lightsaber itself could take on a brand new meaning that we have yet to understand. But that's what I know of it, and that could be why it's used here, because that could show where she's going to go, which is that she's going to start using the Force for defense only and start relying on her practicalities and non-Force skills in her way of life. And that could be what she teaches the new generation of Jedi if she chooses to continue and pass on her knowledge. But let's move on to the big one. And the big one, one that everyone has asked since the first trailer, the first teaser dropped. Uh, The biggest question I think that is out there is, how did the Emperor return? Now, in the film, we find out that the Emperor is Rey's grandpa. Okay, so already there's more than just one question inside the overall how did the Emperor return? It's like a, a bunch of different things we got to find out. So the, the Emperor is Ray's grandpa. <clears throat> First of all, who's Ray's grandma? Who is the Phantom Mistress? So, not really explain too much on how she's the grandchild. I mean, we do know that her father was the one who was the son of Palpatine. And a lot of people have a problem with the fact that the Emperor had a child. And I don't really see why people have a problem with it. I, they they have trouble believing with the fact that he got busy and uh, just had sex with someone, period. But, the, I mean, the fact is, it doesn't mean it was out of love. It doesn't mean he had a wife. It doesn't mean... He was a girlfriend. I mean, he was the emperor, the most powerful person in the galaxy. <clears throat> he, there's no doubt in my mind that he was, 
you know, screwing around with a bunch of different people, um, probably against their will and <clears throat> to his own power and control over them. And I, I don't believe there was any love in his heart. <clears throat> I don't believe he cared about anybody uh, except himself. So, but I do believe he would have, you know, slept around 100% with a bunch of people. So there could be multiple children. So the fact that he had, uh, you know, he had passed on and become an ancestor doesn't surprise me. And I love the Ray connection. But anyway, <clears throat> Ray is the grandchild. I love it when he announces it on, on film and he's just like, the return of my grandchild. <laughs> so funny. Okay. Let's get back to how he returned. <clears throat> so it turns out that he ran a Sith cult on the hidden world of Exegol in the unknown regions. There lie his loyalists, and they are called the Sith Eternal. And they were ready and they were waiting to transfer his spirit into this reconstructed body in the ca- in the cause of his death in the case of the cause of his death and this could have been the knowledge that was passed down that he learned from his master's mistake uh, where Plagueis could save other people from dying but he couldn't save himself so he probably learned from his master's mistakes and had a this backup plan where he had these cis loyalists who would be in charge of transferring his essence into this fake body. And they were probably also in charge of <clears throat> conjuring up all the ships as well. Um, so I, I have a feeling they were, they were piloted and manned remotely or maybe even through AI completely on their own. So there probably wasn't that many people on board them because that's kind of hard to believe too. I know, I know it is. So I, I, I think that this is what he learned to be the mistake of his master, was that to cheat death, you have to have a bunch of, uh, an army of people who will help manifest it after your death. <clears throat> but here's something interesting that a lot of people have brought up, and it's kind of a theory that's out there, is that the the emperor that existed in Return of the Jedi, and the one that existed <clears throat> in the prequel trilogy, Palpatine, that that was the clone of the Emperor, and that the Emperor has existed for years before. He states in the movie that he has died before. <clears throat> so how do we know that the Palpatine that died on the Death Star was the original one? What if that was the clone, and the original Palpatine has been submerged below the planet of Exegol for all the years prior. And that that is the original one, slowly reconstructing itself and finally becoming to the point that we get to in The Rise of Skywalker, that he's able to kind of like move around on his own and um, <clears throat> start talking to people and reveal himself. So that's an interesting theory I do think could be a possibility, you know. And, of course, he states himself this dark side of the... Force is a pathway to many abilities some would consider to be unnatural. And that would be very unnatural, that the clone was the one that existed the whole time. And it would make sense that he returned because the, the one that died wasn't the actual one in existence. And then in that case, it doesn't negate what Anakin did. It just means that there was 
something else going on behind the scenes. So I think that's probably the, the one I believe <clears throat> on how he returned. We don't get into details, which is kind of sad. I would love to know more about the Sith Eternal and who all those people were and how long Palpatine has been planning this and why didn't he just plan this from the beginning where he clearly had the amount of time it would take to build all that stuff. Why didn't he just execute this plan in Revenge of the Sith days rather than execute Order 66, you know? And the argument can be made that he had to get rid of all the Jedi, and that was the main priority, and he couldn't do that by just <clears throat> hailing an, another army and wiping them out because the Jedi were too smart. So he had to do it in a, in a, in a very sneaky way, which was through the clone troopers. And then that raises the question, well, why did they switch from clone troopers to stormtroopers? I don't know. There's a lot going on. But that's my answer for how did Palpatine return. The next thing I want to ask is, what is a dyad in the Force? <clears throat> Something brand new to this movie and the whole entire universe. A dyad itself, um, I think the technical definition of a dyad is just uh, two parts of a whole. So... In this case, it's Rey and Kylo. We know that Rey and Kylo are connected. Remember that Snoke bridged their minds in the previous movie. But Snoke was Palpatine, right? So did Palpatine unintentionally make a forced dyad by bringing these two people together? Because he didn't realize that they had that they were a dyad and therefore being holding power of the force itself. So it's interesting that Palpatine created this dyad, but he had no idea that he was doing it. He bridged their minds so he could bring them together, essentially bringing Ray to Snoke slash Palpatine. I think he bridged their minds together to get them the ability to force heal. And that's why it's so prominent in episode nine, all the force healing, Ray and Kylo both do it. I think he knew that bringing them together could make, make it so that they would both be able to force heal. And in that case, with the ability to force heal, it could do a reverse effect and have him extract their life essence to heal himself. And they're the, they're the only two that could do that. So that's why I see that this would be the only reason to make sense. I mean, um, it's clear that the force healing is something that can be <clears throat> accomplished by having a diet in the force. At least that's the way I see it at all. But so yeah, the dyad in the force is essentially just two parts of a whole, Rey and Kylo. And in order to get that, apparently, they have to be connected through somebody else. And that's the way I take it anyway. Um, because it's stated in the movie that it's the power of the force itself. Following this, I'd like to talk a little bit about Jana, the new character in the movie. And something that raised a, was like a rumor before was that Jana is Lando's daughter. And... So I would like to ask the question, is John Orlando's daughter? <clears throat> At the end of the movie, they, you know, have a moment and he's like, well, let's find out who you are. And according to the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary, it's revealed that Lando started a family soon after the events of Return of the Jedi. But his daughter was kidnapped 
by the first order at a young age. And this idea ties in with the line of dialogue spoken by Zori Bliss, where uh, she says, uh, the first order has been stealing children to fill out its ranks. So, I think it makes sense that Jana would be Jana Calrissian. Because Finn is, like Jana, was, as he says, taken from a family he'll never know. So we do know that stormtroopers in this era are children that were brainwashed and manipulated to be the army of the, the First Order. So I think it adds up and it kind of reveals itself in this visual dictionary. But again, it's like, why not just take the time and just get to that in the movie? I don't know. Okay, next up, I want to talk about something that has, was bugging me from the very first showing, and that was, what was Ray staring at? If you remember in uh, leaving the first act of the movie, it, when Ray is on the <clears throat> this jungle planet where they have the new hidden base, once they all get together, the three amigos, and they're like, we're going to go out on this mission together, she looks off into green foliage of the jungle before they take off on this mission. And then Poe comes up to her and says, what are you looking at? And she turns to him and says, oh, nothing. And then they leave in the Falcon and go off on the mission. So I've ever since watching it, I was like, what the hell was she looking at? That was bugging me the most. And then I went, every time after I watched it, I went back to go see if I could catch anything in the distance. Like maybe it was a Force ghost or, uh, I don't know, uh, Princess Leia. But I could never see anything, and I always missed it. So... I took to the internet and I went through many different articles and interviews, whatever. And then I finally found one with Chris Terrio himself, the writer of the movie. And he was saying that it is a direct callback to the force awakens. The moment she leaves, um, Jakku and is riding the Falcon across new worlds. And she sees this, a bunch of lush green forests and plants and life. And she, while she's looking at it, she says, I, I don't, I didn't know there was this much green in the whole galaxy. So this moment in The Rise of Skywalker is her, before she goes off on this mission, thinking it might be the last, she's taking a look at the jungle and taking it all in one more time. It's kind of an appreciation of the life in the galaxy. And I thought that was beautiful. And I do like how it was subliminal and not really like shoved down your face. I think it was a nice little... uh, hidden message, I guess is what you'd say. But it speaks a lot about Rey's character, just that she's so she's so one with the world around her, and that's what makes her a good Jedi. Okay, guys, the last bit of, of you know stuff I want to talk about, the last question I have uh, before we wrap up today is about the connections with between the Rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian. Uh, so visually and on paper, we don't see any connections so far. But a lot of people are wondering, you know, where is Baby Yoda in all this uh, this story so far? He wouldn't he be a teenager or a young adult at this time period? And wouldn't he, uh, a f- someone with the Force abilities that he has be connected in all this in some way? Um, and also, like during this time period, the First Order is rising, and. Also, where is what is Palpatine doing at this time? Snoke, where is he doing at this time? How does he get involved? Just a bunch of different things. And are Snoke and Palpatine various bodies, new and old, strand cast creatures, uh, 
created using Baby Yoda's DNA with a combination of Kimonian cloning technologies and unnatural Sith abilities, you know, we don't know. And I really hope that the Mandalorian gets into that. Uh, so far, the only connection between the two uh, properties themselves is the fact that force healing is used in in the uh, in both the 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 show and the movie. And so, could Baby Yoda grow up and be one of the first people to use this this force healing ability? And does he write a book on it and later give it to Luke? And Luke throws it in with the rest of the library. Could be. I don't know. But it's interesting that both force healing uh, abilities were brought up in the same week in Star Wars canon. So only time will tell. But if it is so, Disney and Lucasfilm will have pulled off a very clever and likely key strategy for the future integration of their television and film platforms. So, let me know what you guys think. Are there any questions you have left of The Rise of Skywalker that are unanswered and unsolved mysteries? Well, just shoot me a message. Maybe we'll talk about it. We'll do a part two. Because there was a lot in this movie. A lot to break down. But, thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you had a good week. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Now, somehow, someway, somewhere, this week, may the Force be with you. Do it.